Welcome to Millennial Money Minutes, where we tackle tough personal finance topics in five minutes or less. With your host, Grant from MillennialMoney.com and Matt from DistilledDollar.com. We're super excited today. We have Aaron Lowry, uh, the author of BrokeMillennial.com, um, an upcoming author of the book, uh, Broke Millennial. We're so excited for her. Aaron is really uh, an OG personal finance blogger. She's been blogging since I believe 2013 um, and is one of the most visible bloggers in the space. And super excited to chat with you today, Aaron. And thanks for, uh, for being on the podcast. Yep. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So uh, to start off, let's tell us a little bit about the book. Um, when's it come out? Uh, and how does the book differ from your blog? Sure. So the book comes out on May 2nd, but I'm going to plug right now that you can pre-order it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and you probably will get it cheaper if you pre-order it now, as opposed to waiting for the release date. So fun fact for your frugal listeners. And the book, the difference is it's all unique material. So I should say that right off the bat. So it's not like I've taken my blog and put it into book form. What I've really done with the book is I've set it up as a pick your own financial path. So the first couple of chapters kind of start with a little bit of basics, a little bit of, you know, I say, is money a Tinder date or marriage material to you? What are some of your financial hangups when it comes to money? Trying to address those roadblocks with the reader. And then after that, I want you to pick the best place for you to go. And that could be, hey, I'm a 101. I just need to figure out how do I handle a credit card? How do I set up a budget? And then later, I'm going to try to figure out the whole student loan thing. Or you might be a little more advanced and you're like, ugh, I have to talk about money with my partner or my friends keep wanting to split this dinner bill evenly and I cannot handle that. What do I do? So it really addresses finances in a broad spectrum with each chapter standing on its own. So you do not have to read it cover to cover. My joke is that you could take it to the bathroom and learn something about personal <laughs> finance. What was your favorite uh, favorite part from the book? What, what do you think? Um, I mean, obviously, it's it, I'm sure it's packed with a ton of value. But what, what did you find uh, both most fun and most valuable uh, in, in the book? One of my favorite sections to write was in one of the early chapters where I'm trying to help the reader assess where they are. I put them through a little bit of a quiz and there's this checklist where you can say like, oh, I have this credit score or what have you. And the names of those sections are stuff like, yay, you got a gold star or you're going to live in your parents' basement forever. And just getting really tongue in cheek with that kind of stuff was really fun for me. And it's been interesting as some of my friends have gotten access to it a little early. They've all been like, oh, I got the UN Viral Award. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, with a book like this, I'm sure for all the research that you put into it, um, was there anything that kind of shocked you? Because I think, you know, being in the money scene, I think we all kind of get familiar with the narr- like a, a narration of it, but anything shocking in uh, preparing for the book? Oh, that's a great question. I think it really challenged some of my belief systems about how to pay down debt. A big thing that I talk about, I'm vocal about it on the blog, and I'm very transparent about it in the book, is I personally have never had to deal with debt. I've been very fortunate in my life, And my parents had set me up at a young age to make very rational financial decisions. So when it came to going to college, I elected to go where I got scholarship money and my parents could help with the other 50% or were willing to help with the other 50%, I probably should say, because I don't think it's an obligation. And 
So I came out of college debt-free, no student loans, and then because I knew how to use credit cards and balance a budget, I never got credit card debt. However, part of what I talk about on the blog and in the book as well is that my boyfriend has student loan debt. We've been together for over six years, and marriage is certainly on the horizon for us. So it's something that's a very important topic to me because I know it's going to be part of my life. And odds are, if you're a millennial who doesn't have debt, you're probably going to marry into it. So it's important that you understand how to deal with it. So back to the point of what kind of challenged my belief is, I mean, from the I haven't had to deal with it perspective, I've always been very pro-debt avalanche because that is the mathematically correct way to save the most money to pay down your debt. But after talking to so many people who have been through it and really just kind of crunching the numbers, I get why debt snowball really is the winner. And it's just because psychologically, it's going to keep you on track. Avalanche are probably going to fall off the wagon more than once, so Snowball's probably going to get you to your deadline faster. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer because um, that's actually one of the things um, we've talked about before, but you know, a lot of emotional you know, factors come into our decision-making, and you know, we might come up with the best plan on paper, but then you know, who, you know, how do we stick with it? And that's you know, whatever trick we can get to get there is great. So one of the, you know, I know we talked a little bit about this, um, you know, one of, probably my favorite post ever on your site was was the post, The Case Against Minimalism. And I have to bring it up um, just because I felt like it personally really resonated uh, with me. And maybe you can tie this back into the book or maybe we can slingshot off into a whole nother stratosphere. <laughs> um, but t- tell us a little bit about, you know, just living in New York and kind of what you like to splurge on and what you like to save on. And uh, you're one of the most popular personal finance bloggers who doesn't disclose her net worth. And maybe you can tell tell us a little bit about why. Sure. Ooh, so many questions. (laughs) Well, uh, to give the readers a little bit of background about the case against minimalism, I will start by saying I wrote about this in November of 2013. So it was when minimalism was getting a lot of traction within our personal finance blogging community but I would say people at large, it was not yet a trendy topic. And so the average person was not reading or seeing this word used over and over again. But I was starting to see it really prevalent in the personal finance community. And a little bit of this was naivete, if you will. A little bit of it was just you know general backlash against a new idea that was coming out. But my feeling was, A lot of the people that were touting this minimalism ideal were living in areas of more rural America, and there was a lot of condemnation of people that either wanted to live in urban environments or liked things. And I'm not a big accumulator of stuff. I talk about that in the post itself, where I call my apartment recently robbed chic. (laughs) I, I don't have many things. And uh, most of the things that I do have, honestly, were gifts from people who came to visit and were like, seriously, you don't have a TV stand? Like, why is your TV on the floor? I'm like, because why do I need a TV stand? So I do, however, like certain other amenities in life, like traveling. I would much rather stay in um, a nice hotel or a nice Airbnb as opposed to a hostel. And I'm going to spend money on that. It's what I value. Um, so... I wrote this post kind of as a reaction to 
not everyone wants to take to the woods. Not everybody's going to be thorough. I frankly don't think I could live off of $40,000 a year and especially raising a family because I like living in New York City where I live right now. And if I want to raise a family here, that's just, in my opinion, not feasible. So I really aired my grievances in this piece. And it's been interesting because it started to get some traction lately as this whole minimalism idea is becoming far more mainstream. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, kind of kind of spring, springboarding off of that, um, you know, it's, it's in terms of your blog, you know, back to kind of the why you don't disclose your net worth, um, but you are, you know, a fan of somewhat radical transparency. You know, I think I felt like the minimalism post, you know, more specifically was, in, and, and a lot of your posts, honestly, you know, are just, are just super genuine, super honest. Um, so tell us a little bit about just, you know, it sounds like you got out of school without debt. Um, you're obviously good with money. You've saved well. Uh, what, what's, what's your FI goal um, or what, what are you really shooting for? Sure. Oh, I realized I did not answer your net worth question. Cool. So, <laughs> I asked you like well, six, I I will, six I questions. On it. I thought that was like a clever ploy. Right I'm like there. the worst, worst, worst interviewer ever, honestly. I'm not trying to get around it. Actually, um, PT recently asked me on, on his podcast. So I got called out a little bit there, too. Uh, honestly, the big reason I don't share it is because I'm not anonymous. You'll see a lot of the people that do share are anonymous bloggers. And outside of our personal finance community, people may not know they are the blogger behind that site. So knowing that uh, my friends, extended family, my immediate family actually does know my net worth. My partner knows my net worth. Um, some of my very close friends, if they've asked directly, I've been happy to have that conversation. But frankly, I feel like when people find out how much money you have, it gives them license to make judgments on how you should spend it. And that's a big reason I've kept my mouth shut is because I don't really need not necessarily good friends. They sh they wouldn't be doing this in the first place, but I didn't need coworkers or people that are in my life to say, well, you could afford to do that. I see how much money you have as that kind of rhetoric just really frustrates me. No, it's really interesting because I've sort of had kind of the opposite reaction, right? This, that CNBC article came out. It's like Grant's a millionaire, and literally everyone in my entire <laughs> life night. saw it. You know, showed like thirty-eight thousand times or something, and like kids from grade school were hitting me up, being like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" But lo as a whole, the reaction was was pretty positive, um, and I felt like it was more like a sort of yeah, it was it was pretty positive, and people were more sort of quote unquote inspired as opposed to judgmental. Um, so I've just, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in just trying to break down the taboos of money. And obviously, you know, I know you are too. And, you know, you don't get anywhere with money unless you actually sit down and talk about that. But obviously, an incredibly personal choice relative to, to that type of disclosure. Yeah, and I will say, um, you know, you asked the other question was, what's my big FI goal? And the one that I am working on right now is hitting a million by 35. And part of that reason is... My joke is that I'm trying to beat my dad to a million, and I always have to back that up by saying he has it, but his goal when he was about my age, I'm 27, and around this time in his life, he set a goal to be a millionaire by 42, and he hit that, and I always feel like it's important to say he did it without family money, he didn't have some cushy job lined up for him, like he bootstrapped his way there, and so I feel like one of the 
best ways to kind of show him he did a good job with me would be to beat him because I know it would make him really proud. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Um, but a good seven years too. Uh, you you mentioned earlier just um, kind of you know your personal net worth versus let's say your boyfriend. So a lot of people kind of wonder, you know, should we combine our finances as a couple? You know, what's what's been your take on it? And, you know, not to say that your take is, you know, your personal take is what you recommend to other people. But, you know, if you could just kind of, you know, what's your view on that? Yes, great question. And I am a big believer in joint finances after you're married. Before you're married, I believe you should keep them separate, even if you live together, which we do. We actually just moved in together about four months ago. And you're still living together, right? (laughs) Yes, you're still living together. Um, So I like the idea of keeping them separate now. Uh, The other thing, and this is kind of a, a disputed conversation within our own personal finance community, is the when you help your partner with debt conversation. I know some people help once there is an engagement ring involved. I personally have, he knows, we personally have talked about it. I will not help until the marriage license is signed. So once we are officially husband and wife, then I think everything is joint. I have a complete team mindset about it. I'm taking on his debt. I want to help him with the debt. He's going to help me in other ways, perhaps. And then once the debt's gone, we are completely on even footing and working towards those financial goals together. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, no, that's great because, you know, two heads is better than one. So then it sounds like even though, you know, you're still separate, it still sounds like you guys have talked about it. So you're aware of probably, you know, the big issues. It's not like, you know, the next day after the wedding, it's not like you're going to be hit by a curveball or anything, which is great. I'd love your thoughts. We've talked a lot, yeah. (laughs) I'd love your thoughts on this. Um, So one of the things we've talked about before and and we struggle with is how do you talk about money with, uh, you know, when someone asks you for your thoughts on money? And then also, how do you talk to someone about money? Like maybe you have a friend who you know is having money troubles uh, or someone you know is having money troubles and you know that you can help them. You know, so what are the best ways to talk to people about about money that, that, that are your friends? So I couch everything with a the way I do it is or what has worked for me is because, again, personal finance is so personal, if nothing else. So my strategies for doing things is not necessarily the best way for some of my friends because we have different relationships to money. We have different psychological makeups. I think a big part of what people need to understand about themselves is, you know, do you have delayed gratification? Do you not? Some of us are innately savers. Some of us are not. So let's say that you're a big spender. You have to figure out how to set up gates around yourself so that you're not constantly spending all of your money, where I, on the other hand, am just by nature a saver. So that's never been a personal problem. And when talking to your friends who you hear say things like, you know, oh, if I I make a decent amount, but I just can't get it together and I just can't stop X, Y, Z, especially if they know what you do and they know you write about money, do not offer unsolicited advice. That's my biggest piece of advice to other folks who are money nerds. Don't offer unless it's asked of you because that's one really quick way to strain a relationship. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. So tell us a little a little bit about what made you decide to uh, leave your job and pursue writing uh, f- full-time. Was that after the book deal? Did that solidify it, or what, what was that catalyst for you? 
It was after the book deal, which is kind of funny because you always hear, never quit your job over a book deal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say I did get an advance, but certainly not a like life changing, quit your job level advance. I think for me, what it really did was validate that I was moving in the right direction, that this was something that was worth pursuing. And on a really personal note about it, I'm not sure that I've, I don't think I've shared this on the blog, but When I graduated college, well, first of all, when I went to college, I went in for journalism and then theater as a double major with the real interest of being an actress. And by the time I was ready to graduate college, it had kind of been beaten out of me in a sense that, I mean, I was getting leads in the plays at school and and I loved acting, but I just felt like I didn't have the drive to go through the very excruciating life it can be early on trying to make it as an actor. But I still wanted to move to New York. So that was the plan. I moved to New York. I worked as a page for The Late Show with David Letterman, but I never truly gave acting a fair shake. And to this day, I think it's something I always look back on and have a little bit of regret. So once I got the book deal, once things started going really well for freelance writing with the blog, and and I figured it could be self-sufficient in terms of, I don't make a lot of money off the blog itself. It's through my freelance writing and my speaking. But I knew that if I didn't at least try, it was going to be the acting thing again. I was going to really regret not trying to build Broke Millennial into a big brand and make a name for myself. Yeah, let's uh, maybe let's get get to the heart of that. So, yeah, you, you freelance a lot of places, right? Um, what made the decision to, to freelance as opposed to diving in and, and perhaps trying to build your blog into a bigger business? I, I'm sure I'm sure a few of our listeners would be interested in that. I have more interest in writing than I do in SEO and the analytics and everything that goes into making a blog, a money generator. It's a lot of work. That's true. And I'm so impressed yeah. by the people who do it well. Let's talk a little bit about the book then. I mean, so you left the job, you got this advanced. How'd you write the book? Did you disappear for a while? What's your What's your writing routine? Um, a lot of our listeners are obviously bloggers and you know, we, we, you know, they think that you have to stay up all night to write posts. Yeah, first thing in the morning. First thing know. in the morning. So what's, 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 your, what's, your, what's your vibe uh, when, when you're writing? I was actually still traditionally employed when I wrote the whole book. Whoa, and, wow. ooh, that was painful. That's busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lot. And I was still freelancing. I look back on it now, I'm, I'm actually not sure how it happened. <laughs> because I was still freelance writing, still had Broke Millennials, still had the regular jobs still was writing the book. And my employers were amazing. They actually gave me kind of a little sabbatical where I was doing a three day a week in the office, two days at home with the understanding that when I was at home, I'd probably be focused on writing for about six weeks when I got close to my deadline. So truthfully, a lot of the book got written in the final six to eight weeks of everything. And I am a night person. So um, the only thing that Tim Ferriss and I probably really have in common, I love him so much, but uh, is that he writes all his books at night. When I heard him say that on his podcast, I was like, oh my God, I wrote my book at night. <laughs> so I would probably start at around nine o'clock and I'd be up to about three in the morning. And that was just, I liked the quiet. I mean, I live in New York City, so it was actually quiet in the apartment. The neighbors weren't making noise. The sirens going to the hospital weren't super loud. So it was just kind of a serene time of the day for me. Well, night to be writing. 
That that's awesome. Um, so, quick quick money question. So, um, what what do you recommend to the person who you know we're getting this more and more? I think there are quite a few millennials who are quote unquote starting to get their financial life together, um, and you know they're they're maxing out their four hundred one k. They've opened up a Roth. Um, you know what what do you recommend uh, people do? Uh, you know with their money or just to save more money generally. So to do with their money, the first thing I would say is know your values and that's where you need to be spending and don't let other people be dictating what your values should be. You know, for me, a big thing is travel. That's what I love to do. I save primarily to be able to do that. And not only is it you know great trips internationally, but a lot of my friends live all over the United States. So I love being able to save up to just take a three day weekend to go visit my best friend in Texas or one of my friends in Cincinnati. And I think that a lot of people, especially living in a major city like New York, they're like, well, like, shouldn't you be out at the brunches and the happy hours and going to see shows? And sure, I do that sometimes, but not every weekend. Otherwise, I couldn't travel like I do. So my first advice is know your values and ruthlessly prioritize to fund those and don't let other people tell you what you should and shouldn't be spending on. And then my tip for saving more, my favorite technique, other than you're always going to hear like automate your savings, you know, max out any contributions from an employer for a retirement plan. Those are all great pieces of advice. I say nickname your savings accounts and have it be really actionable and specific. So if you want to take a trip to Japan in June of 2018, have a savings account entitled Japan Trip 2018. And that way, when you are tempted to skim that little bit out of your savings account into your checking account so you can go out with your friends, you're going to be like, you know, it's this or it's Japan next year. What do I really want to do? No, that's really great advice. Um, No, this this has been awesome. Um, Any other questions, Matt? Yeah, no, that's like really great. Yeah, I would say as long as you can make your goals tangible, I think that's really great advice. Um, So, yeah. so So what's next? book is there a book tour you know where are you going to go on readings are you going to get on tv what's a documentary what, yeah, what's, you know what's next what's next for broke millennial i mean all those things are on the in my head vision board because sorry i'm not a real believer in the whole vision board thing i know people are all about the secret i am a complete cynic but if i were all of those things would be on my vision board <laughs> and so Yeah, I'm working on booking some more speaking gigs myself. I'm really kind of focusing on colleges right now. I think that's a really great place for me and a natural fit to be getting into. In terms of a big book tour, you know, publishers don't tend to give first-time authors too much of a financial help in that department, but I'm kind of doing my own a little bit. And I'm actually looking at partnering with maybe some financial institutions or companies that make sense and doing something that way as well. And um, TV, yeah, that'd be great too. We'll see what happens. Well, this has been a real pleasure, Aaron. We really appreciate you know all the insights um, on everything from saving to couple money to writing books late at night in the middle of the night. Um, this has been a lot of fun and we really appreciate you and we're so stoked to read the book. Um, everyone pick up broke millennial. What is it? May 2nd or pre-order on Amazon right now. So, um, really appreciate, uh, having you on. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Millennial Money Minutes. If you liked this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe. If you want us to cover a specific topic, use hashtag Millennial Money on Twitter or visit MillennialMoneyMinutes.com.